Hello, Roy here. I just wanted to let you know that you can listen to The Roy Green Show ad-free on Amazon Music, included with Prime. Earlier in the week, it was quite an interesting news story, and it got a lot of attention. It has to do with the National Microbiology Laboratory in Winnipeg, which is essentially a super-secret, well, it's supposed to be, a level four super-secret lab. And the question that's been asked repeatedly and for years is what really happened and what was behind the firing of two infectious diseases scientists at the lab in Winnipeg. So the government has been holding that information pretty close to its chest. And in fact, the uh, government was ready to take the speaker of the, uh, the house to court when the speaker wanted to rule on the opposition getting to see what was in this in these files. So this ad hoc committee now is going to find out, we won't, more than likely, but the ad hoc committee is going to find out what's secret. More than 250 pages have been kept secret from MPs, and there's been a lot of redaction in other pages. So uh, we're going to talk about this and uh, more about the situation between this country and China when it comes to that lab and to COVID. There's still a lot of questions being asked. Elaine Dewar is the author of On the uh, Origin of the Deadliest Pandemic in 100 Years. On the Origin of the Deadliest Pandemic in 100 Years. It's an absolutely fantastic book. And if you haven't read it yet, I highly recommend that you do so. Elaine, thank you for joining us. How are you? I'm fine, and thank you for asking. Well, I, I just wanted to talk to you again about this situation. It's one thing to, to know that the the MPs, the ad hoc committee, is going to see the, the documentation. And if I called governments and if I called um, spokespeople for, for political parties, I'd get, I know exactly what I'd get, I'd get the news releases. But I want to, I want to ask you, your research was really meticulous. And I have a lot of questions for you, actually, about this whole issue in the, in the book. But let's start with, with the lab and the, and, and the scientists. What is the big picture story surrounding the Winnipeg lab? Um, what, do, what do we need to know and think of and understand going in now? For a lot of people, it's something they vaguely remember. They're very interested in it. What should we remember more directly? Well, it is the only level four containment lab in the country. In order to work in that level four containment lab, which is where you handle nasty bugs like Ebola and Marburg and, of course, um, others that make people extremely ill and for which there are no treatments, you require a secret clearance. Um, And for some reason... It appears that from about 2014 onward, when uh, a, a gal named Sangu Chu and her husband Kenning Chang were employed at the National Biogra- Microbiology Laboratory, Chang Yu Chu in the Level 4 Pathogens Lab uh, and Vaccine Lab, there were relations with Chinese scientists um, who were doing papers with these two, and clearly uh, some of them had access to the lab. Some of them were students of Sheng Yu-Q at University of Manitoba, where she and Ketting Cheng also had adjunct appointments. What got really uh, worrisome is that some of those students uh, were apparently members of the Chinese military. And 
in particular from 2015 onward, uh, Cheng Yu-Q was doing very interesting uh, studies of Ebola, testing an Ebola vaccine created by the leading expert uh, on virology and epidemiology in the People's Liberation Army, a woman by the name of Chen Wei. That relationship continued even after she and her husband were taken out of the lab by the RCMP in the summer of 2019. They continued to publish together until 2021 when, when they were fired or officially fired. Uh, and in order to actually create a, a published article that will appear in a major learned journal, one must have access to data. And secret clearance includes access to data. So the question becomes, how, even after they were removed, after their secret clearances were withdrawn, did their data access continue on for more than a year and a half? It's mind-boggling. And when, when you talk about the People's Liberation Army of China having essentially members, not essentially, really, having members of the PLA inside this level four microbiology lab in Winnipeg, the most secure facility in this country, I, how does that possibly happen? How does, how does no one, well, how does CSIS not say, is, how do they not all say, right, right. can't, we can't do this. We can't let somebody from, we can't let officers from the People's Liberation Army into that lab. The question initially was whether they had physical access to the level four. There are, are lower level labs within the building. Um, there's level threes, there's level twos. Right. So there is some doubt as to whether they were physically in the level four, but really the doubt is absurd because if you're doing work in there, if, if Canada's taxpayers lab is testing a China created vaccine against Ebola with the person who created it, um, it the data flow is the issue, not just the physical access to the lab, exactly. the data flow. Yeah. And and there was also the case of the transfer of Ebola and the Hanapa viruses uh, overseen by, uh, it's Dr. Key, right? It's Dr. Chu, yeah. yeah. Uh, Dr. Q? Uh, so so though the transfer of these viruses, deadly pathogens, clearly Ebola and Hanapa, uh, were transferred to the Institute of Virology in uh, in Wuhan in March of 2019. How does that happen? Well, apparently Canada is a soft touch when it comes to oh. the transfer of important viral samples. Uh, apparently in, in uh, the United States, they're a little more rigorous about this. But it's not that the transfer is so outrageous. What's important to know is that up until 2018, um, China only had one level four that was not open, and it was at the Wuhan Institute of Virology. The, the, when they finally uh, were able to actually import Ebola to study, uh, they got it from us. And the question is why? And the question is why was there no material transfer agreement uh, along with that shipment? And, and there has been no obvious answer to that. I mean, I looked at the emails that the CBC got under a access to information request. And it's clear that some persons high up in the lab did not think a material transfer agreement was necessary, whereas the director absolutely did. 
that director left uh, shortly after all of this material became public and went off to the UK. So we don't know um, what was the thinking, why, why no material transfer agreement, which sets out what the material can be used for and what it can't be used for, makes clear who owns what. I mean, it, it, it was just a very, very strange operation. And when I asked uh, another government scientist who has many years of contact with the Wuhan Institute of Virology, whether that was reasonable, he just said, that's crazy. There, there should have been such an agreement. I can't imagine why there wasn't one. Uh, I'm sitting here stunned. Uh, I'm absolutely stunned that, that this happened and that we are now finally in November of 2022 having an ad hoc committee of members of parliament uh, see what has been kept secret for so long. And uh, and, and what, you and I, we're not going to know, right? We're not going to find out. The, no, they'll, we're they'll not going to find us. out. We're not, because these guys will be security cleared and they will be subject to confidentiality agreements. And the only material that they're allowed to tell us about will be that which three judges who have yet to be appointed will decide is actually safe for us to know. Well, what they can't do is stop me from worrying about what they're doing. No, they cannot, and they should not. And and honestly, this business of the control of this kind of information is part of a really deep-seated problem in this country, which gets us into a situation in which ministers of the crown, who are theoretically responsible for everything that goes on in their departments, escape accountability because we cannot know what went on and we cannot know what decisions were made. We can file access to information requests till we're blue in the face, and we will get told, sorry, maybe three years from now, oh, maybe when you're dead, uh, we'll return that information to you. And if we do, it's going to be redacted. I mean, as a country, we have a really, really poor record of, of holding our elected officials to account by getting access to information that's rightfully ours. Elaine, you also write about China's long-term ambition concerning waging and defending against bio-warfare. And uh, Chinese Army Major General enters the picture. How does, that, uh, how does that involve this country, if it does? Well, when China had the first SARS uh, pandemic, so 2003, they had a serious problem that they handled really badly, and it spread to the rest of the world, and there was great opprobrium. And I think they realized right then that in spite of the fact that they'd been sending their very best and brightest out to major schools in the rest of the world, like Oxford and Cambridge and Harvard and Yale and University of Manitoba, University of Texas, to be trained, that their public health system was still in wretched shape. They also apparently, around that time, decided that biotechnology would be, as I think the quote is, their new strategic high ground. And they considered it important enough that um, from Deng Xiaoping on, that was one of the major areas of government funding of research and development. So it's been on their minds for a very long time. And when you say strategic high ground, that has meaning. Apparently, um, this has continued on to be part of their military doctrine for a very long time. And certainly institutions like the Wuhan Institute of Virology, which is state-owned, um, according to the U.S. State Department, have long been host to military researchers who may not be publishing the work that they do there. 
So the work gets done, and the question is why? And the answer is that China has a strategic interest, especially in the African continent, that the African continent is very much uh, a reservoir for certain kinds of bat-borne diseases that cause havoc, Ebola being one of them, and we're, we're going through another Ebola round again in the Congo. Um, and that they, because China is now completely tied up with the rest of the world, uh, having successfully globalized itself, it's only a plane ride away uh, from diseases which are not endemic to China. So it's both protecting their, their domestic population and also protecting their military. Their first military base off China is in Djibouti in Africa. So these are military and domestic concerns, and they did not have the capacity to study on their own. And so our lab became sort of their home away from home. Oh, it's good to know that. Isn't it? Yeah, so encouraging. There was also a famous or infamous incident where Canada's relationship with China became and then remained a focal point when the federal minister of health at the time called a reporter's question about COVID having perhaps leaked from a lab in China as racist. And it just seemed to so many people, boy, that's a very defensive position by the federal government of Canada. I, I, can you fit into an answer? Can you fit your thoughts on that into an answer on this question? This is my last question for you. What is your takeaway, Elaine Dewar, from this entire situation that you've described to us that surrounds the, the lab in Winnipeg, the lab in Wuhan, the Chinese scientists, the People's Liberation Army, and the government of Canada? Well, you know, I think it may be that two governments of Canada um, decided to enter into a science and development relationship with China in earlier days when China's aggressive stance, which we are now all so familiar with, was not clear and obvious. And it may be that two ministers or three ministers or four ministers of health signed off on permissions to allow this kind of relationship to go on. They may not have understood exactly who was going to be going in and out of that lab and exactly what kinds of samples we were going to be sending back and forth. But I think in a, in a more naive time, it probably was deemed to be a good thing uh, that Canadian scientists were helping to train and helping to educate scientists in China. Bat-borne diseases... Um, causing pandemics have happened in China, specifically SARS. And now we're, you know, dealing with SARS-CoV-2, which apparently also originated in China. The question of where it originated from is still somewhat open, although I believe it did, in fact, originate from work being done in the Wuhan lab. But that's not proven. It's not demonstrated. I just tell you chapter and verse about why I've come to that conclusion. I think, therefore, a Minister of Health, when asked about the Wuhan Institute of Virology as a possible site of the leak, panicked. If you want to hear more, subscribe to The Roy Green Show on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you find your favorites. And if you like what you hear, leave us a review and tell a friend. I'm Roy Green. Have a great weekend. 